Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. How are we this morning? It's so good to see you. And all of you streaming at home with us, welcome. I invite you to stand and worship together. It is wonderful to be together this morning. Let's sing it out. We need no other hiding place. Our hope is safe within your name. This we know. This we know. Promise never to forsake. Again, you will sustain this. We know this. We know this. We know this. We know. I will call upon the Lord for He alone is strong enough to save. shackles on.
He alone is strong enough to save. As we believe, rise, new shackles are no more. For Jesus Christ has broken every chain. Yes, Lord, we trust you, we worship you, you are so good to us. Welcome once again, Wheaton Bible Church. It is so good to see your faces. It is so good to worship with you uh, and just to be here in God's presence with God's people. Such a blessing. We don't want to take this for granted. We want to be thankful people, joyful people. Uh, we want to sing to him. We want to raise our hearts to the Lord and remember who he is, what he has done, and look forward to what he's about to do in the next season of our church. Um, and we look forward to that. And we also uh, know many of, of our people are still worshiping online. And we are praying that the Lord would continue to visit us uh, at home as we gather online as well. Uh, and that he would bless our church. And we want to read from Psalm 103. And let that call you to worship and set your eyes on Jesus this morning. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heal, heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We are people of your presence. And we long for you. We need you. We cry out for you. Remind us who you are. Each time I doubt your goodness, you show me you are with us. Your presence makes the difference. I've seen it every time. What a good God.
declare your goodness today. God, we remember your faithfulness. We've seen it every time, God. God, we choose to trust you as we look forward. You are so good, Lord. These words are from Philippians 2. Starting in verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. 
and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is our story. Let's continue to worship our good God as we take part in this story. This is what he's done. We worship you, Lord. In the darkness we were away without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt
can be seated. I wish those of you who are online could feel the energy in this room today. We're a small group, or maybe 10%, but it's just amazing. We are so glad to be home, right? We are so glad to be with our fundamental family. We are so glad to be able to do what is eminently biblical, and that is to worship Jesus Christ together. And we want you to do that in your homes. We want you to do that in your groups. We want you to do that as you live your life. And this is a special Sunday as we begin to reopen. I want to say a couple of things. We are in this series on the book of Proverbs, and I want all of you to know we are coming up to some important messages. Today, for example, I'm speaking on the subject of marriage, which is a marriage in our country and our Western culture is experiencing its own pandemic of sorts, a pandemic of distortion, redefinition, uncertainty, and even dismissal. In a couple of weeks, we will speak on the equally important subject of friendship and singleness. And then next Sunday, Hannibal is, Pastor Hannibal is going to be speaking on justice and race and address some of these issues that have come up and the racial tension we're experiencing all over again recently in the United States. And I say this about these upcoming messages, including today, because I want you to share these with your friends. I want to invite you, I want you to invite people to join you and maybe watch these online together and then talk about them. Do that certainly in your groups and think of other people that can benefit from the teaching of God's Word. Now, because Hannibal is speaking on racial inequality and justice and this wonderful concept in Proverbs of disadvantaging ourselves to seek the advantage of others, I just want you, the black brothers and sisters here at Wheaton Bible Church, to hear from me as a white man. I want you to know that as a Christian and a pastor, I am so sorry for the injustice, the suspicion, the insensitivity and even the hostility that you experience because of the color of your skin. I want you to know that as your brother in Christ, I mourn that. It's unbiblical and it's sinful. And I want you to know that as we've been going through this period, these different things in our country today, and uh, this uh, racial issue that I am reading, I am listening, I am uh, talking to people, I am trying to understand. And some of you black brothers and sisters in this church have been really, really helpful for me to understand, to look at things from your perspective. And so I want you to know that both personally as in a church, we are completely committed to standing against and seeking to overcome racism in all its forms. 
And we want to do whatever we can as brothers and sisters in Christ to listen to you, to support you, to encourage you and to find ways for healing and hope in the church, for find, find ways where we can engage with one another relationally. And we must do this together, and this is the call of the gospel on our lives. And I want you to know I love you, and I hate the racism you experience. Now, having said that, let's pray. Father, we come to you as the King of kings, as we have sung, the Lord of lords. The good God, the great God, the majestic God, the holy God, but the God who is full of mercy and compassion and love. We marvel at the gift of your Son. We marvel that you have created the body of Christ, the church, and Jesus is the head. And we come to you and we plead, Father, that we as a church, as, as followers of Jesus Christ that make up the church would be wise in these days of COVID and intense racial hostility and um, all, all the issues related to these things. God, we need wisdom. I need wisdom. I want to pray for people in our, our church that are uh, Going through COVID, I have tested positive. Would you heal? Would you give grace? For our black brothers and sisters, would you give them strength in Jesus Christ? We thank you for their precious testimony. And would you show us in a church that is committed to diversity how we can bless, how we can listen, Thank you for this moment that you have sovereignly placed us in. And we ask God by your grace, by the power of the Spirit, for your glory. We would be salt and we would be light in the darkness. And I pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Good morning, it's so great to worship with you today. I'm Michael and I serve with our creative team. As Pastor Rob shared recently, we're excited to start gradually meeting on campus again. Our gatherings have a few modifications in place to worship safely, including reduced size gatherings and asking you to wear a mask for the duration of service. To worship on campus, you can register now at our website. Every year our church organizes and participates in CareFest, it's a great way to show God's love and build connections within our community by lending our time and skills to complete repair and care projects for others. CareFest begins on August 8th, so now is the time to plan or join a project. If you know a neighbor, friend, family, or organization that we can encourage and serve through a CareFest project, submit your ideas and the CareFest team will help you make it happen. Registration for projects open soon, but your project ideas are needed now. We can't wait. Today we're talking about what the Bible has to say about marriage. One couple in our church, Stan and Lynn, were engaged in wanting to start their marriage off right. 
After going through our preparation for marriage course, they were just a few months away from their wedding when the pandemic started. Stan and Lynn are both healthcare workers working near COVID patients, and at the time were living with older family members at a higher risk. To care for their families, they wanted to move out of the house and live together, but to honor God, they wanted to get married first. So a few months ago, Pastor Mark officiated Wheaton Bible's first wedding over Zoom, and they hope to have a larger celebration with their families when it's safe to do so. Congratulations, Stan and Lynn. No matter if you're just getting engaged or facing challenges in your marriage, we wanna help you live out God's plan for your marriage and for you to thrive. Through your generosity, we have great ministries like Preparation for Marriage and Reengage to help you wherever you're at. If you're able, would you take a moment right now to prayerfully consider giving or setting up a recurring gift to support ministry through Wheaton Bible? You can easily do this by texting Wheaton Bible to 77977, visiting our website, wheatonbible.org give, or mailing a check to the church office. Thank you for being a partner in ministry here. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week.
married for how long now for six and a half all right just just past seven months you get to 44 44 years 44 years yeah we we got some uh newlyweds to submit questions uh we have a couple of our own mixed okay. what is the hardest thing about marriage people feel the marriage just have to be perfect and it's no perfect but we are not perfect you need to be honest with each other it hurts sometimes okay yes I always ask him, do you want me to tell you the truth or do you want me to sugarcoat it? I like the sugarcoated one. <laughs> you know, lots of people get married later on in life. What advice would you give to couples trying to merge their independent lives? Compromise, and that's a yeah. word that people don't like to hear. You have to compromise. I want the best for her. Mm -hmm. And you want the best for me. Mm -hmm. And that's how you compromise. How do you um, keep the relationship with someone you spend so much time with so fresh? He's always surprised. <laughs> you need to have fun. Uh, yes. Sometimes I hide in that somewhere and, and she called me and I have no answer. <laughs> Life is so short that if you fight or argue about silly things, then you're going to pass on things that really matter. Happy wife, happy life. Okay? <laughs> I'm trying, really, I'm trying. How do you continue to show appreciation for each other after 44 years of marriage? Just because you're married don't mean that she's not your girlfriend. Oh. We're still in that season. Yeah. <laughs> she's your sister in Christ, your fiance, your wife, and everything in there, okay? And the love of your life. Any parting wisdom that you guys have for us? There's always going to be um, times when one of you is going to be stronger than the other. Mm -hmm. One of you is going to go through a tough time and the other one has to be the strong one to hold you up. You have to maximize what you have when you have it. Enjoy what God yes. uh, is giving you. <laughs> it's an adventure, guys, and that's what we believe. And uh, it's yeah. Some people call us crazy, so keep that in mind. <laughs> That's just great, isn't it? This has been a great morning of worship. 
And now we come to God's word. And what I want to do is look at what Proverbs has to say about making your marriages great. Or as Willie said in the video, making your marriage is a great adventure. But I can't stress the importance of this subject in our day and age enough. Because for the first time in the history of Western culture, we are facing forces that not only no longer support traditional bibli the biblical definition of marriage, but are now actively working against it to undermine it. And now, because Jesus is the hope of the world, I believe, along with others, that it will be increasingly up to the church to you and I as followers of Jesus Christ to save marriage by the quality of our convictions, the, the character of our marriages. And ha having said that, therefore, we desperately need a word from God. And so today, as we come to Proverbs, what I want to do is I want to look at what it says about what marriage is, and then <clears throat> what marriage looks like, a, a couple pictures or, or snapshots. So what is marriage? And I want to make this as our first and introductory statement. Marriage, according to Proverbs, according to the Bible, is one man and one woman for life. So if you go to Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 1, the very first two words are my son. Solomon the king is writing to his son. And so he begins a chapter, my son. And then in the balance of that chapter, for a while, a long while, he warns his son against adultery. And then we come to verse 18. And Solomon says this, May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. So it begins with my son. In verse 18, we are talking about the son's wife. And therefore, what we see in Proverbs, and we see this over and over, and you'll see it later as we go, Proverbs upholds the sanctity and the beauty of marriage as one man and one woman for life. And Proverbs repeatedly warns against the violation of that. Proverbs tells us how to rebuild, how to restore a marriage when we're struggling. Here we see, it talks about in different ways and from different angles, how to infuse joy into your relationship and your marriage. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. And what a wonderful, wonderful way to begin. Because Proverbs is clear, as well as this is what the Bible teaches from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, that marriage, by definition, is one man, one woman for life. Anything else is a distortion. And therefore, if God created marriage, which he did, as we see in Genesis chapter 2, and here and elsewhere, he defines marriage, then it's up to the church increasingly to make marriage famous. 
May God give you the grace to make your marriage famous in a day and age that is increasing looking down on this biblical traditional definition. That brings me to statement number two. Marriage is one sinful man and one sinful uh, woman. And as soon as you get married, you realize this. And let me come at this uh, from a side door. Uh, Look at Proverbs chapter 4. Above all else, above all else, nothing is more important. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Now, the reason we are told to guard our heart isn't because our hearts are pure, but because our hearts are twisted. Self-centered and sinful. And so self-examination, guard your heart, self-examination is a must because self-deception is a reality. Our hearts are sinful and twisted. Now, we get a better handle on this in the next couple of verses. So we see in the next verse, keep your mouth free from perversity, keep corrupt talk far from your lips, and do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. The evil inside you magnetizes you to the evil outside you. And this is exactly what Jesus was getting at in Mark chapter 7 when he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And then in the next couple verses, Jesus lists those out, uh, teases those out. Our problem, and this is my point, is in our marriages, it's not the institution, but it's our sinful distortion of that institution because of the evil self-centeredness resonant in our hearts. And hence, we have so many marriage problems. So as a result of what's going on in our, the human heart, what God created to be the most thrilling and fulfilling, the most binding and protective of all human relationships has increasingly become the most damaging of all relationships. And as a product of a divorced home, I want to say to you, I ache for you if that's been your experience. So I've made two statements so far. I'm about to make a third, but I want to raise the question, well, what in the world do these two statements have to do uh, with uh, great marriages? Well, they have everything in the world to do with them because uh, if we understand, uh, if our marriages are rooted in the biblical definition, then we have the potential to be all that God wants us to be. And, and that's statement number one in terms of statement number two. If we are aware of our sinful distortion, uh, the dangerous potential of sin, then we build guardrails and hedges in our marriage to protect us from that sin. And we're open and transparent with one another. We're talking to one another. We're confessing our failures, our our sins to one another. And we're continually extending forgiveness. Now let me come to this third statement, which is equally important. What is marriage according to Proverbs? 
Marriage is a covenant relationship before God. We see this in these verses. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left, now notice the language, the partner of her youth, and ignored, here it is, the covenant she made before God. Now, in the Bible, a covenant, which is a big thing, by the way, in the Bible, is both a sacred and a legal bond. In the Bible, it has a vertical and a horizontal dimension. And it's both initiated and sustained by promises. We use the word vows. You know what this means relative to weddings? And we've really lost sight of that today. The wedding is not so much a claim of present love as it is a promise of future love. A covenant. Now, why does Proverbs, Malachi does the same thing, why does the Old Testament describe marriage in terms of a covenant? And the answer is because of of the theology behind it. You see, the Bible teaches that our loving, compassionate, merciful God is a covenant-making God who covenants with sinful, fallen people to to save them and to redeem them and to bless them and that permanently and eternally in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the moment you and I trust Jesus as our Savior, we come to Jesus and say yes to him as our Lord and our Savior. In that moment, Jesus takes our sin And he gives us his life. And we enter into this covenant relationship. By the way, and parenthetically, the word covenant is used hundreds of times in the Old Testament. As God says to Israel, I'm a covenant-making God. I'm a loyal, loving, covenant-making God. You can trust me. Oh, Israel, come to me. Rest in my promises. So marriage at the horizontal level between a husband and a wife is a covenant because it reflects a much deeper covenant relationship God has with us today as followers of Jesus Christ. But I want to take this a step further because there's an intimacy in this covenant relationship I want you to understand. And what Jesus Christ has done for us and who Jesus is and what he offers us in him we have an existential, experiential, intimate relationship with him that is so profound that the Bible describes our covenant relationship with God in terms of marriage. So Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, the church is the bride of Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the bride, you are his bride. Jesus is the groom. Isaiah says the same thing a little differently when Isaiah says, your husband is your maker. Now those are words of profound intimacy. An indescribable uh, indescribable experiential union. 
And that is between me and my God, you and your God. In Jesus Christ, I am married to him. And so all the blessings of Christ are mine. All the status of Jesus is mine. So Paul says you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Christ is the groom, I am the bride. Everything that the groom has and has done is now mine. And so what this means, what the point of Proverbs chapter 2 is that we are to treat each other in our marriages with the same faithful, sacrificing, forgiving love God pours out on us in Jesus Christ. And our marriages, and Adam and Allie were just singing this, reflect and point to the greater reality of God's covenant love for us, the love he has extended to us. Now, do you see what this means? This means marriage is not like a driver's license. It's not something that expires every few years and you can renew it or not renew it. It means, and, and their song drew this out, that marriage isn't over when your feelings change, when your wife is diagnosed with cancer, when circumstances clobber you. When different issues come up, circumstances change. Your marriage isn't over when someone more interesting comes along. According to the wisdom book of Proverbs, marriage is a covenant relationship, not a convenient relationship. That doesn't mean it's not convenient, but it is much more profound. It's a covenant relationship. And so that's why we say in our weddings... Uh, by the way, whether you're a believer or, or not, because we long for this. It's part of the human longing. It's why we say, for better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. Till death do us part. God has ordained your marriage covenant relationship to point to his covenant relationship with the church. Now, some of you may not buy this. You may not believe in the Bible. You may not even believe in God. And so let, let me just say this to you. This is where you have a, you're in a hard place. Because if God does not exist, now hear me, if God does not exist then ultimately all values are relative. There are no ultimate values, no ultimate right or wrong. So you have your set of values and he has his set of values. And if they um, conflict, it's just too bad. And your values change depending on your, your circumstances. And in addition to that, not only are all values relative, but all relationships are nothing more than transactions. And this is the fatal flaw of our modern secular world. 
Because culture cannot sustain itself if that's true. And we can't live that way. And marriage can't survive that way. And so I wonder today in this day and age, can the church save marriage? Can we make it famous by making our marriages famous? That's our challenge. So marriage is one man, one woman for life. That's the definition. One sinful man, one sinful woman, that's the danger. But one compassionate covenant relationship reflecting God's compassionate covenant relationship with us in Christ. And that is the delight. Now let me move from what marriage is, what Proverbs teaches marriage is, uh, to what it looks like. And I want to give you some snapshots, uh, some pictures. And because I believe ladies first, let's start with you uh, women, uh, you wives. And I want to build on this verse here in Proverbs chapter 12. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Now notice, Proverbs is teaching there are two types of wives, a noble wife and a disgraceful wife. It's a generalization. Now what's significant about the contrast is the contrast has nothing to do with your appearance, nothing to do with your achievements. It has nothing to do uh, with your wealth or, or lack of wealth. It has nothing to do with your past personality, introvert, ex extrovert. It has everything to do with your character. And look at the term noble. Uh, noble points to your internal moral code. Your moral compass at the center of your, center of your being. Uh, which for us as uh, believers in Jesus Christ is a, a healthy mix of the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes. And what's amazing, if you look at this verse and uh, you see this in the, the second line, what's amazing is your internal disposition. You are a, a wife of normal, noble character, rather. That in, internal disposition of yours crowns your husband. Your life of dignity, uh, of morality, of genuineness, of humility, of, uh, 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 of passion. Crowns your husband so by your life and, uh, and by your lips you encourage him, you, you love him. You believe in him when he doesn't believe in himself. You encourage him when he's discouraged. You hold him up when he falls. You are his crown. Hear me, you are his crown, not his trophy. Because crowns suggest a social power. That God has given the wife this incredible power in the life of her husband. And if we tease out the metaphor, what that means is you as a wife have the potential to make your husband great. 
to make him, if you will, a king. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. What a statement. What potential, what a promise. Anything else, as we see at the end of the verse, is decay. Like decay in his bones. So now, what does a wife of noble character look like? Three snapshots. The first, she is a woman that fears God. You fear God. Look at Proverbs 31. Oops. Charm is deceitful. And beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord, who fears the Lord, is to be praised. Now, this is the last chapter in the book of Proverbs. And in the second half of this chapter, there's a beautiful and long description of the attributes of a noble wife. And what she's like, what her characteristics are. And here in verse 30, we come to the second to last verse in chapter 31. And we discover the key, the key to her character, the key to her dignity, uh, nobility, if you will, is that she is fundamentally a woman that fears God. So you wives know that holiness isn't just a moral thing for Jesus. It's not just an external thing of being nicer or your behavior. It's, what, it's an internal thing, what goes on in your heart in terms of the depth of your love for Jesus. So you love Jesus because he first loved you. And you experience regularly his unfathomable love. And you are chronically, continually moved uh, by the wonder of his suffering, the extent of his suffering to secure your forgiveness. And you are moved by the reality that Jesus truly is better than anything, anything that the world goes after. And so while the world pursues those things, you pursue Jesus. And the word here is fear. So you fear God the Father by living in joyful awe of God the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. You fear a triune God. You live in joyful awe of him. Now there's a second characteristic. A noble woman builds her home. Uh, We also see this in chapter 31. She speaks with wisdom. She watches over the affairs of her household. Uh, One of the great strengths of Wheaton Bible Church, and I've seen this for years now, and actually one of the great strengths of uh, churches around the world is you godly women. The commitment you have to your home. When my first wife, Carol, died, I learned this in spades because suddenly there was a vacuum in our home and I realized that a woman, a wife, is the emotional 
and functional center of a home. And when you're a noble wife, when you're a godly wife, and and you live a life of chronic joy in Jesus, you are a delight. That emotional and functional center is just beautiful. And your husband and your kids and your neighbors are the beneficiaries. And then third, and this is so important for us in our busy, suburban, affluent culture, A noble wife ministers to others beyond the home. Look at verse 20 here also in chapter 31. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Now, I don't have time to tell you about the women here in Wheaton Bible Church who are so committed to the global cause of Christ that they pray and they pray and they pray and they give and they give and they give and and they go. Sometimes they lay down their lives and they go permanently overseas. Other times they'll take short-term mission trips and they'll go and then they'll, they'll take another one because they are deeply committed to ministering to others beyond their home. I don't have time to tell you about the godly woman here, the noble woman here in our church that in so many different ways serve their neighbors, serve their neighborhood, serve their community, a volunteer in this area and that area because they know at the core of their being that one of the best things they can do for their children is teach their children that life doesn't revolve around their family. That God has given him a family as a disciple-making platform to make disciples of the people around us. And that's Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Uh, So you women extend and you serve and you sacrifice. And it's just beautiful. Now let me turn and talk about husbands. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs tells us there are two types of men, and for that matter, two types of women. But I want to focus on men, and in particular on husbands. There are two types of husbands. There are wise husbands and there are foolish husbands. And we see this contrast between wisdom and foolishness in in chapter 1. So we read right at the beginning, let the wise listen, the wise listen and add to their learning. But fools, oh fools on the other hand, in contrast, well they despise wisdom and they despise instruction. You know, this guy has nothing to teach me. I'm not going to listen. Or I'm not going to pursue this. You know, uh, the church is full of idiots. So, three pictures of a wise husband. And men, I want you to listen to me. And here's the first. You seek God. Look at the next chapter. This is chapter 2. It comes at the beginning, at the front end of Proverbs. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for a hidden treasure then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Wisdom in the book of Proverbs means competence and living. It means living life skillfully. 
And God wants you men to develop your skills, to develop your abilities, to develop your passions, to be excellent at your work, uh, to throw yourself into your hobbies, to, to uh, God wants you to lead and to follow, to work hard, to play hard, to serve your family and to, and to serve others, but in and through it all, to pursue him, to seek him above all else. Now Solomon had a unique privilege because his father was a man by the name of David. And the very thing Solomon is calling us to in, here in chapter 2, he saw fleshed out in his father, David. So recently I've been meditating on this verse from the Psalms. David is speaking and he says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Now notice the word earnestly. David was an extremely busy man. He was the king. He had all the pressures of ruling a country, all the political conflict. He had to deal with the partisan conflict. Uh, he, he fought personally in battle after battle and war after war. But Solomon saw a father and a husband who in and through it all was passionate about God. I earnestly seek you. So no wonder Solomon would say here in Proverbs 2 that you seek God so earnestly it's like you're on this incredible, infinite, majestic treasure hunt. Solomon saw that up close and personal. Now, the New Testament picks this concept up. For example, in the book of Hebrews, it uses the word earnestly again. Because in chapter 11 and verse 6, we read, Without faith it is impossible to please God. And all who come to him must believe that he exists. And he is the, now catch this, the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Husbands, do you earnestly seek God? Second, wise husbands love their wives. A wise husband loves his wife. And I mean big time, big time. Now let's go back to Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 18. And may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Now of course you're going to have conflict in your marriage. I love the way uh, Willie and Millie expressed that in, in the video. I mean, Rhonda and I have conflict. She's a doc, highly trained doctor, and I'm a highly trained pastor, and she thinks she's right, and I know I'm right. <laughs> uh, of course you're going to have friction in your marriage. You're going to have uh, pockets of uh, disagreements, of, uh, of misunderstanding. That's how God grows you. how he loves you. But look at the verse. 
Husbands don't tolerate their wives. They so love them, they rejoice in them. Do you? Do you so love your wife that you rejoice in her? Now, let me talk about this uh, for a moment. Let me t- take this a step further. One of the ways we love our wives is by blessing them. And I think of the words of First Peter. Do not repay evil for evil. You've had a tough day. Your wife has had a tough day. You come home or she comes home and... Uh, something happens that disappoints you or something is said that rubs you the wrong way. And, And Peter tells you how to handle this. Do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing. Because to this you were called that you might inherit a blessing. So in your disobedience and your sin, God blessed you in in, in Jesus Christ. And and Peter's saying, do that to your wife. Bless her. Don't repay evil for evil or insult or disappointment with disappointment or coldness with coldness or distance with distance. No, be a man who so loves your wife you rejoice in her. Now, I'm not talking about being dishonest. And again, I want you to see how Solomon experienced this. I want to give you men a verse right now, and I want to ask you to memorize it. For me, it has been life-giving. Then all the people left, and each for their own home. And what did David do? David returned home to dump on his family. It had been a bad day. David returned home to bless his family. So as you're pulling in the driveway and it's been a tough day at work or you're, you're on the telephone and, and you, you, you've got stress and you walk into the door or you're on the phone and you tell yourself because you've memorized this and you have this picture of David returning home to bless his family that you tell yourself, I'm here to bless, not to be blessed. And I am not going to return evil for evil or insult for insult. There's enough evil all around us. I'm going to love my wife by speaking gentle words, kind words, uh, words of patience. And I'm going home to bless my family. So you say to your wife, man, you look great. Or our kids are so fortunate to have you as their mother or uh, You handled this particular situation. It was such a difficult situation, but you handled it way better than I could have. Or the way you've shared the word with me has been so helpful to me, so meaningful to me. And after the kids, um, after when we have some time alone, I want to unpack that for you. And you love your wife, so you bless your wife. And that is a key to rejoicing in your wife. Now finally, one more thing and I'm done. A wise husband is confident in adversity. You are a man. You don't come apart. So look at this wonderful verse. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. 
and for their children it will be a refuge. So when trouble hits, are you a refuge for your family because of your faith in God? Or do you send people running because of your fear? Are you at peace or do you explode? Are you negative or are you positive? Are you focused on the person of Christ or or your problems? One of the greatest theologians that ever lived that England produced was a man by the name of John Owen. In the middle of the 1600s, John Owen was the number two man at Oxford University. He was the vice chancellor. He was brilliant. And he had huge power in in that position. But then the government in England changed. And he lost his job. And he was ostracized and pushed away. But that wasn't John Owen's greatest pain. Because John Owen buried all 12 of his children, 12, And he also buried his wife. And yet, here's what he said. Contemplating the glory of Christ will restore your soul and lift up your heart. And it's a sovereign antidote to the poison of tragedy. Contemplating the glory of Christ. So you have a choice, men, in difficulty and disappointment and pain and in problems. Are you going to contemplate the reality of the goodness and the sovereignty of Christ? Or are you going to succumb to the pressures of the moment? John Owen's confidence in God was his secure fortress. And his writings have influenced millions of people, including me. Now, I have often said here at Wheaton Bible Church that God has a wonderful plan for your life, but that plan involves pain. And so today, in light of this subject of marriage, I want to say to you, God has a wonderful plan for your marriage, but that marriage involves sacrifice. Do not separate your pain from God's plan. Oh, God, uh, you're not there because I'm going through this. Never do that. And further, never separate men, your sacrifice from your marriage. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure refuge. And if we live that, now hear me, if we live this, then the church can save marriage. Because we will make marriage once again famous because the quality and the character of our relationship as husband and wife. Let's pray. So, Father, we come to you and praise you For what you have spoken in your word, you have spoken, you have not stuttered. And for how practical the wisdom of Proverbs is, and I pray once again for all of us who are married, for uh, young men and young women here who want to be married, for um, uh, people that are engaged and trying to get married in this crazy COVID time. 
I pray for all of us, uh, for those of us who are single, that we would uh, see the, the beauty of what you have created, even if your call in our life is not to participate in it. God bless our marriages. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us and worship? Let's sing about the greater, the greatest story that Ali and Adam sang about earlier today. Marriage is about Jesus and his church. So we remember that now and sing about that great story. Thank you for the way that you love us, how you love us. Thank you for the way you have made us. We were created for your pleasure, for your presence, for the glory of your name. Thank you for the way that you
Father, we thank you for this incredible, permanent, eternal, everlasting, unchanging, majestic, forgiving, gracious, merciful, holy, compassionate love that comes to us from our triune God, from you. And so fill us so as we scatter, we might live sent lives, seeking to love others, seeking the good of others around us, and seeking to lift up Jesus, the name of Jesus, as you open those doors. And all God's people said, amen. You guys have a wonderful rest of your weekend, and thank you for being with us today. Uh, amen.